Church, happy anniversary, Fellowship Church. What an incredible weekend. Yes. I am so thrilled to, to be here. Honestly, it is a huge privilege uh, just to be standing on this platform today. Uh, I know your pastors, Sean and Diana, they don't just give this platform to anyone. Uh, so they, they want to give this platform to people that they believe will speak in uh, to this church and have a word to share. And so I don't treat this lightly today. This is a huge honor. And I just want to th- say thank you so much. And uh, you guys need to know something of how great your leaders are at this church. My name is Randy. I pastor a church in Florida. Yes, it's sunny and it's warm like all the time. We have two temperatures, hot and then hotter. And uh, so it's always warm and sunny there. I'm originally from Louisiana. Do we have any Cajuns? We do? Three of them. That's why the property values are going up around here. The Cajuns moved in here, man. It's it's kicking it up a notch, right? So um, I'm originally from Louisiana, but we started our church in Florida uh, 14 years ago as well. We just celebrated our 14 uh, years as well. And so, yeah, thank you guys. And uh, we were the fifth ar- uh, plant of, called an ARC, the ARC, the Association of Related Churches. You guys are, are familiar with that. I- I'm, I'm assuming everybody knows about the ARC around here. It's an organization where we help plant churches all across America. I'm on the board of that. We were the fifth church plant, and now we've planted over 600 churches across America. And so, yeah. Now, you need to understand something. Just because We haven't just started 600 churches, but these are the fastest-growing, most influential churches in all of America. And the oldest church is only 15 years old, and yet these are the most influential, largest, fastest-growing churches in America. And so, and you guys are a part of that. So, so what, what that means to you is that when you give your tithe to this church, actually, you don't give to a church, you give through a church. When you give your tithe through this church, it is paying the bills, and it's put you in this amazing facility. I, I think you ought to praise God for this facility and the opportunity you have to be here in the middle of this town, impacting California like this. But you're not just giving for this facility. You're giving through this church to impact your community and churches all across America. So that means uh, when you get to heaven one day, there will be people from Kalamazoo, Michigan, and Des Moines, Iowa, and Sarasota, Florida, and all sorts of places that have given their lives to Christ, and it's because you gave here, and there's going to be a line of people, and you're going to go, well, what are you doing here to greet me? And they're going to say, because you gave through your church, I came to know Christ in a church that was started in the city that I was in. Thank you so much for what you're doing. You're a part of something huge, Fellowship Church, and it's a lot bigger than just this. Although, what's happening here is, is huge, right? And uh, I just want you to, to, to know what's happening in your church. And I say all of that because I want you to understand, as, the, as a board member in all of those churches, I get to see what God is doing across America. So I have a good understanding of what's happening in the church in America. And what's happening here is very unique. And it is very special. And that is all because it starts at the top. And it trickles all the way down. And so I just want you guys to know that you have incredible leadership in what God is doing here. Not just the great giftings and the anointing and the calling that is on their life, but with such humility that they lead this that they don't want to mess it up. And that's why God is blessing this. And I think you ought to give it up again for your pastors. Come on, give it up for Pastor Sean and Diana. Yes, absolutely.
And so I am, I am truly delighted to be here today. I, I'm married. I've been married for 23 years to the same woman. And, uh, and so I want my amazing, I mean, she's the most beautiful woman that has ever sucked air off the planet right here. Come on, stand up, Aim, and you guys give my wife a greeting, would you? And I know what you're thinking. You look at her and you look at me and you go, what happened? And this old man must have a lot of money to get a young hottie like that. You know what I'm saying? Bottom line is, we did not do the corrective eye surgery until after she signed on the dotted line. And then she was like, oh my, what have I got myself into? Okay. Uh, We have four amazing children. Uh, We have a 20-year-old, an 18-year-old, and a 16-year-old boys. Then we have a 13-year-old, you got it, princess. And she is rotten to the core. And... And, and people go, wow, four kids, that's a lot of kids, right? And you think, you think I like kids. Well, I don't really like kids. I just love my wife, and, and that's how that works. But that's a whole nother sermon. And uh, my, my son who, who turned 18 uh, not long ago, uh, I asked him, I said, so for your 18th birthday, what is it that you would like to do? And he said, Dad, I want to go skydiving. And I said, hey, that's, that's great, you know, you can, you can do that at 18 years old, you don't have a lot to lose, you know what I'm saying? So, so I did some research to figure out, you know, where's the right place to go skydiving. And I read reviews and all of that, which is kind of interesting, because if somebody had a bad experience and they died, how would they write a review? If you think about it, I don't, you know, anyway, there was a place with great reviews, and so... Uh, I decided to take him there. We were driving that day to take him to go skydiving, and he says, Dad, I'm so excited you're doing this with me. I said, no, we. I didn't say, what are we going to do for your birthday? What are you going to do? He's like, Dad, no, I really want you to do it. And so he ended up talking me into doing it. So we get there, and we go through like a 12-minute orientation. So you, are to- you, you know all you need to know about skydiving in 12 minutes. It's an enormous amount of confidence that I felt. So uh, we're doing a tandem jump. So they attach you to somebody that is a little too close and way too awkward. However, it's better than doing it by yourself. So we got on this plane, and we, we just keep going up and up and up and up. And we were 14,000 feet. That, I'm from Louisiana, and I know that's high, all right? 14,000, that's above the cloud. So we get there, and we get to the edge of the plane, and we're going to jump on three, and it's one, two, and then we went on three. I was really mad uh, because I I was going to grab the door and try to hold on and not go out. But we jumped, and I was expecting that feeling. You know, like if you're on a roller coaster or something, and your stomach just comes up, and it didn't feel that way. I, I don't know why. We just jumped, and it just did not feel awkward. All of a sudden, it feels like we're flying. And it's just the coolest thing. You know, we're just floating down. And this guy would turn his hands, and we would spin one way, and he'd turn them another. We'd spin the other way, and we'd flip. And I'm like, this is awesome, whoa! And, and we're falling at 120 miles per hour. It doesn't feel like that because the perspective, you know, you're so far away from the ground, you don't see that it's, you know, death is rapidly approaching. <laughs> And then I have these moments of, man, this is so much fun, but this could go bad quickly. And then it's like, well, you know, if it does, so what? Let's enjoy the last few moments. Whoa! 
And then he pulls the chute, right, and it opens, and we, we glide down, and my son and I were yelling, this is so much fun. And, and then we got to, to time for, it, for us to land, and we get close to the ground, and I don't, he pulls the brakes or something. I don't know how he does it. And all of a sudden, we just kind of like landed like, like that soft. And I was like, whoa, man, let's do this again, man. And I went from someone who was not even willing to try to someone who was willing to try it again. And the guy that I jumped with had 1,400 jumps, and he's never once opened up his uh, backup chute. And that means this guy knew what he was doing. And the reason why that I enjoyed that jump and why I would actually do it again, it had nothing to do with me, but it had a lot to do with who I was connected to. Gave me courage to do something that I had never done before. I want to talk to you today about being a courageous church. Here's what I want you to understand, is that God has entrusted this church with something really incredible. The fact of what God has done in 14 years, and and how fast this church is growing, this is not normal. There are over 300,000 churches in America, and very few of them are actually growing and increasing and making a difference in their community. So you're like in the top one percentile of all churches in America. So if that is the case, then God must want you as a church to do something radical for him. Now, when I say church, I do not mean this building. You are the church. Well, turn to the person next to you and say, you a fine looking church. I ain't going to lie. Some of you were just hoping I'd do that. you like single up in this place. you like, man, I sat in the right spot, and you just turned to that girl, and you made a play. All right, so you can thank me later. So you're the church, and God wants you to do something incredible. He wants you to be a courageous church. And it's not about what you've already done. It's about what God is yet to do. And you have only just started Fellowship Church. But you've got to be connected. You need to be in tandem with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And if you are, you will do way more than you've already started. You are just on the cusp of doing something great. And it would be easy to get in a place like this and go, whoa, man, we did it. We're in a building, but God is calling you to more. Come on, everybody say more, church. You don't know what God has planned for you, but if you connect with him, you'll see. And I hope to encourage you today that God wants you to do more, to be a church of courage to expect greater things. Now, let me set up what we're going to be studying today. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Acts chapter 4. We're going to study a passage of the New Testament church, which we are still living in the New Testament church. Right after Jesus left, he gave the the instructions to carry the message of the gospel, to carry it forward, and that's what the church is. That's us. That's our responsibility is to do that. Now, What we're going to study today is about 50 days after the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And we have Peter and John in this story, and they're standing before the same people that actually killed Jesus some 50 days earlier, right? And so that's kind of the the context. That's where we're at in this story. And with those same people that killed Jesus, notice what happens in this verse, Acts 4.13. says, when they, remember the, the people that just murdered Jesus, when they saw the courage of Peter and John... They realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, and they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. When you have an encounter with God, when you're in tandem with God, then God will turn ordinary people 
and to do something extraordinary. Now, I like to, when I preach the Word of God, what I like to do is to help you understand what it, what it really means. So we're going to dig into these and, and help understand how they apply to our lives today. So pull out your notes and circle the word ordinary. I like to go to the original text to find out what it means to give you understanding. That word, this is awesome. It's the only time this word is new, used in the New Testament. And the original language of the New Testament is Greek. Okay, so the Greek word that we use ordinary here, translated ordinary, is the Greek word idiotes, which is where we get the word idiot from. How many of you now are qualified? All right, how many of you are sitting next to someone that you would say they are idiotes, and we're qualified here to hear this message? Come on, let me see your hands, right? All these men are brilliant. You just kind of... Didn't do a thing because your, your ribs would have been sore from it. Don't you lift your hand on that one. All right. All right. I went skydiving. This ordinary guy became a person of extraordinary courage because of who I was hooked with. God wants to take you as an ordinary person and do incredible, extraordinary things with of great courage for him. So how does that happen? How can we be a person or a courageous church? Look in your notes. I put a few blanks for you to fill out there. The first one is you must have a recognizable relationship with Christ. If God is going to do extraordinary things in your life, if you're going to be a person of great courage to believe God for greater things than what he's already done, then you need to have a recognizable relationship with Christ. Back in this same verse, I want you to notice something at the end of this verse. Remember, they saw the courage of Peter and John. They realized they were unschooled idiots, right? But they were astonished, and I want you to circle these next words. They took note. They took note because they had been with Jesus. Now, that phrase, they took note, in the Greek, it actually means to recognize. You better recognize, right? They recognized that they had been with Jesus. When you meet someone, you ever met someone outside of the church, and you meet them, and you know, wow, there's just something about them. They must, they must be a Christian. You can tell by the way they carry themselves. There's an aura about them. And you just know they must be a Christian. That's in essence what Christianity is. God wants people to see you and go, there's just something different about them. Now, can we all be honest and say there's times in our life where we don't always look a lot like Jesus? I had the most awkward thing happen to me not long ago. I was... You guys have Chick-fil-A out here? Come on, the Christian chicken. Who would have ever known it could be so good? So we're, we're at a, an event for my kids' sports on Saturday. We have service on Saturday night, very similar to what you guys used to before you moved into here. We, we, we still have Saturday night service, but I was at this track meet for my kids, and it went a lot longer than we thought. So I was running late for church. I was really hungry. And about I needed to get to church, I was passing by Chick-fil-A from the, the track meet to the, to the church. And, you know, when you pass by the Christian chicken place, you got to pull in. So I pull in, and if, like always, the, the drive through line, like, wraps all the way around the store, right? But I've already set my mind on some nuggets and some Chick-fil-A sauce. Come on, somebody. They're closed today, so don't get up and try to leave this church and go get some. You got you to wait, all right? I'm just setting you up for tomorrow. But I, so I pull in there, and the line's just kind of, you know, moving along, and we're kind of just slowly moving up in the line, and 
Time's running out, but I'm like, I'm invested in this thing now. You're like, no, I'm, no, I've already spent 10 minutes. I'm waiting it out, right? I'm not giving up now. And so as I'm getting close to the place to, to give my order, this car pulls off the street and pulls right in front of me. Is going to try to cut in line. Well, no, you ain't. <laughs> Tell you that right now. It ain't happening. So you know how you can be in your car and have a conversation with someone without ever saying a word? You know, they pull up a little bit. You pull up like, mm-mm. And then they pull up a little bit, and you pull up a little bit more. I'm like, man, it ain't happening. Now, you get to the back of the line like everybody else, Jack. I'm a holy man. I got to get to church. I got stuff to do. Ain't happening. And so he's in this convertible with the top down, and he's got his buddy in there talking. Like, and you get this guy, and I'm, so I'm getting angry. I'm like, no, but you don't know who you think you are pulling up in here. And so we're kind of in this argument, right? And he's talking trash to his buddy in the car. And all of a sudden, he reaches to the back seat. And I'm like, oh, he's grabbing a piece. It's going down in Chick-fil-A parking lot. It's all, baby. I like swamp people. You don't understand. You don't mess with. I'm Louisiana Mafia, man. You don't mess with me. It's about to be on, man. He reaches in the back seat, I'm like, oh, and he pulls out a prosthetic leg. He says, I'm a handicap, and I'm trying to get in the handicap parking place right there. Idiotase. So now I'm all jacked up on pride, and I don't want to admit that I'm wrong. So I'm like, well, where's your handicap decal? How am I supposed to know? And then he says, it's a rental. So then I get out of my car, and I turn everybody behind me. Can't you see the handicap guys trying to you get your car out of the way, man? Come on, people. And my wife's three cars behind me just like, oh, my God. I mean, you know, if that guy would have shown up at church, you think he'd have been excited about meeting Christ and hearing the message of the gospel? <laughs> there ain't no way. But you see, we're supposed to have a recognizable relationship with Christ. Look at this scripture in Timothy. It says that we act religious, but deny the power of God that can make us godly. That word act. It means to resemble, to almost be recognized. Like, well, I, I think they're a Christian, but if that's the way they are, then I don't want to have anything to do with that. Isn't that the problem with most people who aren't involved in church and aren't involved in Christianity? They say, well, if that's the way Christians are, I don't want to have anything to do with it. Well, why would they say that? It could be us. But see, God is calling you and I to a different level of living. To not put ourselves first, but to be Christ-like, which means to lay our own lives down so that we're a good representation of who Christ is. See, we're called to be set apart. We're called to be different. Let me ask you a question. If people outside this church, when they see you at your workplace or at your school or wherever you're at, when they see you, would they say you're a Christian? Based on the things you talk about, the jokes that you laugh at, the places that you spend your time at and the things that you give your money to. 
If people made an assessment of that part of your life, would they say, that person is a Christian? You see, I think we oftentimes, we get close enough to God, but we don't really get the real thing. Notice back in Acts 4.13, it says, they took note, and then look at these next words, circle them, they had been with Jesus. Those three words, had been with, is the Greek word S-Y-N, which is actually where we get the word sink from, which means to actually connect with something and to be marked or identified by something. Here's the problem with most times with us as Christians. We're busy marking our Bibles, but we don't let our Bible mark us. And we get out there and people don't recognize us as a Christ follower. And the problem is it's like getting a vaccination shot, right? If you're going to travel out of the country and go on a mission trip or something, you know how you go get vaccinations so that when you go to that country, you don't catch those diseases, Well, the way that it works, they give your body just enough of the disease so that it builds up an immunity so that you cannot catch the real thing. And so many times we get just enough of God. We decide, well, I'm going to check out church. I'm going to come a little bit and see what's going on. And we get just enough of God to get a vaccination and you never get the real thing. And so you're like, well, this thing doesn't work. There's no power involved in that. This thing doesn't really, I tried God and I tried church and it doesn't really work. It's because you didn't sync yourself up with God to where when people see you, there's no difference or nothing they can decide that's different than than Christ. They go, yes, that person looks exactly like God. See what I'm saying? It's time to be marked. It's time to sync your life up with God. Recognizable relationship with Christ. There's another part to this, and that is in order for us to have that recognizable relationship with Christ, we need to surrender to the Holy Spirit. You see, when Jesus dies, right, and then 50 days later, Peter and John are on their way to the temple to pray, and there's this crippled guy there, and he says, hey, give me some money, right? Hey, help me out, alms to the poor. You know the story, right? And Peter and John say, silver and gold we don't have, but what will we have? What we do have, we will give to you. And they say, rise in the name of Jesus and be healed. And he gets up and he's healed. And that's what the big commotion is all about. And that's why these murderers who killed Jesus now are standing there with Peter and John, and they're telling them, do not do this. But notice, back in Acts 4, it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Would you circle those words, filled with the Holy Spirit? Let's notice. What did he do? He said to them, Hey, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness that is shown to a cripple, and we're asked how he was healed, then you better know this. You can... And you sense the attitude in Peter, then check this out. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but God raised him from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. This is the same Peter 50 days ago. He wouldn't even act like he knew Jesus in front of a kid. And yet now he's a little big, got his shoulders back, got his head up. He's like, you better know this. What gives? What's the difference? One simple thing. He's now filled with the Holy Spirit. And that word means to be accomplished and to be furnished. If you're going to be a courageous person, if God is going to do incredible things in your life, 
then you have to be a person where you realize the accomplishment and the furnishment that comes in your life for doing things for God and in your family and in your finances and in your faith, it doesn't come from you, it comes from the Holy Spirit. You know, I I see Christians all the time that are discouraged and worn out because they're giving it their best and they just keep falling on their face. And it might be because it's not about trying harder. In Christ, it's actually about surrendering more. I like to play golf. Do we have any real Christians in the house? Come on, you golfers, come on. This is the real people of God right here. Because if you could play golf, you could make it through anything. Because staying saved and playing golf is hard. I mean, it, it, golf is a four-letter word, and it makes you want to say more of those four-letter words. I'm just being real, all right? I was playing in this pro-am tournament, which simply means uh, a, man, a businessman in our church sponsored me and allowed me to go play. So that means the people that you see on TV, for two days, they allow amateurs like myself to go and play with them. So I got ready for that. I've been playing golf since I was three. My dad wanted my brother and I. You guys know my brother, Rick? Come on, you guys know Rick? All right. I know, I'm, listen, I'm way better preaching than him, so when he comes back, y'all give him some love because, you know. So my dad wanted us to play professional golf, and, and we're both pastors, so he's disappointed, but oh well. So I've been playing golf since I was three years old, right? But I wanted to be ready for this tournament. I practiced and practiced, and man, I was ready to go. And I got on the first tee, and I teed the ball down. Now, remember, I'm playing with the pros, that, like the best players in the world, like Justin Daly, I mean, uh, uh, Lin- Justin Leonard and Charles Howell III. I'm playing with those guys. TV cameras everywhere. I get on the first tee, and man, I'm so nervous. I'm just shaking like this, man. Now, I was ready because I had practiced. I was playing good, but something happened, and I got so nervous, and I hit the ball, and it went so far left, it was almost right. That's how far left it was. Hit it out of bounds and made a double bogey on the first hole. Even though I had tried and prepared, I hit it out of bounds. I think there are Christians all over the world. It's probably you might be you sitting here and you are trying as hard as you can and you just find yourself, you just keep hicking, hooking the ball, hicking. You keep hooking the ball out of bounds in life. And you're frustrated, you're discouraged. And I want you to know it's not about you. It's about surrendering to the power of the Holy Spirit. I love this verse in Ezekiel, which is a prophecy Thousands of years before the, mo- the, the time that we're living in, which now the Holy Spirit is released on the earth. And, and Ezekiel, the prophet, is talking about what's going to happen in this day that we're living in. And he says, God is speaking, saying, I'm going to give you a new heart. And I'm going to put a new spirit in you. And I'm going to remove your heart of stone and your heart of flesh, one that is stubborn, in other, ones, in other words, and, and doesn't follow through with me, he says. And I'm going to put a new spirit in you. And I'm going to move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. See, that word move you means to produce and to accomplish. The same meaning as the word we just read, filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, church, it's not about you trying harder. It's about you surrendering more and allowing the Holy Spirit to produce these things in your life so that you can be full of courage and accomplish all that God has for you. I don't know what you're struggling with here today, and I don't know what part of your life that you wish resembled God more, but by you surrendering to the Holy Spirit, He can produce this stuff in you. you got to sync your life up with God. 
You got to surrender more to the Holy Spirit. And lastly, you must be obedient to God. And the only way to be obedient is connect yourself with God. Let the Holy Spirit work in you. And then you can do all the things that God is encouraging you to do. That's what we find in this story in Acts. Let's go back to it. So they have this argument going on with these leaders of Israel telling Peter and John to stop. And and they wouldn't stop. So finally it says they called them in yet again. And they commanded them not to speak or to teach it all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Circle that word obey. That word obey actually means to hear and to respond. Now, aren't we all willing to obey God when we're in desperate times? You're you prayed those foxhole prayers. Oh, Lord Jesus. Right? God, I'll do whatever. I'll say whatever. I'll go wherever. God, I just need you, God. And then God works it out, and then later on you're like, well, you know, you know I got it. That reminds me of that Boudreaux joke. Come on, I'm, I'm from Louisiana. So Boudreaux was a common last name for people from Louisiana, so I like to make fun of it. That's the people on Swamp, Swamp People. You've seen that show, right? That's who Boudreaux is. Oh, it's those people, all right. And since I'm a Cajun, I can make fun of myself. So Boudreaux's driving in the parking lot, and he's running late for an appointment, and he cannot find a parking place. And he's driving up down. He's like, oh. And then he says, oh, Lord. That's how them Cajuns, they talk like that. Oh, Lord Jesus, you give me that parking spot, Lord, I'll go to church all the time. I'll serve in the church, God. Lord, I'll give that money to you, Lord. Please, Lord Jesus, help me out. And he turns down the next aisle, and there's a parking place right there. So he pulls in. He goes, oh, never mind, God, I found one. <laughs> Come on, I don't care who you are. That's funny right there. But isn't that just like us? Oh, God, I'll do anything. God, help me out. God, I'll, I'll serve. I'll go to church. I'll be obedient. I'll love my spouse. I'll, I'll serve you, God. I'll lay that down. I'll forgive that person. I'll put you first in my finances. God, if you just work this thing out. And then he works it out and is like, well, we just forget. It's kind of like my kids. I'm sure you guys are much better than me. I know Sean and Diana are. Their kids are incredible. My kids, they don't listen. Anyway, the boys, I, hey, boys, clean your room. And an hour later, I'm like, did you clean your room? Huh? You were talking to me? Yeah, I was talking to you. Now, like, I thought you was talking to my brother. <laughs> now, when I say it's dinner time, I don't even finish the sentence, and they're all at the table. <laughs> oh, yeah. They hear what they want to hear. Aren't we like that with God? You're sitting in a service just like this, and God encourages you. It's time to start serving. Quit just sitting in a seat and being a consumer. It's time to start being a contributor. It's time for you to trust God in your finances, and you're in a funny money series right now, and you, you feel God stirring you. God, we got to start putting you first in our finances, God. There's somebody that's messed you over, and you're hurt by them, and you... It's time to forgive them. And you might even write that in your Bible or write it in your notes. And you get up from here and you leave and you go, I don't think God was talking to me. I mean, he got his wires crossed and it's probably for the person next to me. And 
they got uh, intercepted the message and is really for them. And, and we, we write it off. And, oh, God, I know that verse says this, but my circumstances, it's okay if we live together. No, God, it, it's okay. I don't have to put you first in my finances yet. I got I to gotta clean some things up. Well, I can't serve God. I, I know you want me to, but you know how busy I am. And when this thing settles down and we start reasoning away and we wonder why the power of God is not working in our lives because we're not obedient to what God is calling us to do. Let me ask you this question. What if God responded to your needs at the same speed with which you were obedient to him? Could it simply be that the power of God working in your life is just contingent upon you being obedient to what God has already asked you to do? And sometimes we got to just go ahead and make that step and we got to be obedient. I want to read you this last verse in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 9. It says, this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Circle that word victory. This is a really cool word. You're going to appreciate this. It's actually the Greek word Nike. It's the only time it's used in the New Testament. It's the Greek goddess of victory, which means to triumph or overpower. So now when you see a Nike swish, you know that God is calling you to victory through your faith. What is the essence of faith? It's being obedient to God to do what he's said to do, even when you don't know how it's going to work out yet. Without faith, church, it is impossible there's no way to please God if you don't take a step of obedience and just be faithful anyway. And I know there's probably some things in your life that you're needing God to work out and do in your life, but you, if you're going to have courage in life, you've got to just be obedient, step out in faith. Do what he's speaking to you now. My father, when my brother and I were growing up, we were fairly young, my dad uh, worked for this company. He traveled all over the country, and he would had these nightmares all the time that... Uh, Rick and I, our, our arms were cut off and we'd come running into his room bleeding profusely and, and he would wake up in the middle of that and it just bothered him over and over and over again and he was actually in Atlanta, Georgia and he had this nightmare again. And he woke up and he was sweating and just worried about us and he got on his knees beside his bed and he knelt, knelt down and he said, God, I'm not getting up until you deliver me from this. And he does not know if he was down for a minute or if he was down for, you know, an hour or he didn't know. But it was in that moment that he felt the peace of God come over him. And God, in essence, gave him this, this word or this assurance. Don't worry about your boys, Richard. I got a plan for them. They're going to be okay. My dad got up from his bed and he never had another nightmare again. And my brother and I are both doing ministry and God does have a plan and God is using us in an incredible way. Amen. I don't know what's tormenting you, but it's time for you to drop on your knees and surrender totally to God and allow Him to mark you, allow the Holy Spirit to furnish you so that you can get up and go be obedient by faith to what God is asking you to do so you can be a person that lives in all that God has for you.